Welcome to another SustainableWineBlog.com podcast with me, Toby Webb, and I'm delighted that joining me in this podcast is Raymond Thompson, who is head sommelier here at Vincent's, uh, one of the best restaurants, perhaps the best restaurant in Riga. So welcome to the podcast, Raymond. How are you? Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Happy to have a chat with you. Great. Well, um, you're the first sommelier I've ever interviewed for the blog. I normally interview winemakers only. Um, but of course, sustainable wine is, is really taking off. Uh, and so it's interesting to get the views of someone who serves customers sustainable wines or wines that profess some levels of sustainability. So I want to ask you about that. But first, um, you are, um, or you were, you are, the European Sommelier of the Year 2017. Congratulations. Thank you very um, much. What does that mean? And why are you in Riga? Uh, <laughs> let's start off with that. Okay, well, first of all, uh, I'm Latvian 100%. So since I moved from my uh, little city in countryside, I moved to Riga. So I started my career in Riga and I started to work here since 99. And uh, this restaurant, Vincent's, is where I found my passion for wine. So, And uh, then at one day I understood I really like to compete. I like the wine culture. I like the traveling. And I had all those possibilities and opportunities. And uh, well, uh, I started to uh, become ready for the world competition, for the European competition. And uh, of course, my aim was to be successful in that. So why I'm based in Riga? Because, uh, well, now I'm running the restaurant, actually. So I'm based really in Riga and uh, winning the, the, the title Best Sommelier of uh, Europe 2017, actually that gave me a lot of possibilities. Possibilities to travel, to, to meet a lot of people, to guide tastings, to consult outside Latvia. But I really uh, like the fact actually that I'm still based in Riga, running the restaurant and then doing these all activities, uh, promoting Latvia and myself outside. Latvia. So that's that's really, I think, the possibility is, is really great, what you can do. So with um, the notion of the sommelier, did that, that started off more in the US, I suppose, than it did here. Is it, is it becoming a really a big thing in Europe now? Or is it still a more US-centric kind of No, well, yeah, yeah. I think, uh, well, I think it's, sommeliers are now becoming like, uh, you know, small rock stars. Uh, it's a really popular profession. A lot of young people are starting to uh, be more interested in wine. I think specifically Eastern Europe. Eastern Europe, we know that Nordics are really strong in sommelier culture. But I think also the overall economic situations, fine dining, restaurant chefs, and all this kind of movement uh, is really healthy for the profession of sommelier, specifically for young people. And I think also the profession of sommelier has changed, you know, not only these stiff, you know, tuxedo-dressed sommeliers working in five-star hotels, also the profession of sommelier has become more free, more relaxed, more friendly, more open-minded. And I, I think also that's linked to the topic sustainability. You know, sommeliers are choosing more like, you know, organic, natural, kind of uh, different style of wines. And uh, they're trying to find something, you know, different. Uh, what we knew, uh, what is uh, traditional winemaking and what is a traditional uh, wine. So I think this, everything goes really dynamic and develops really, really fast. And uh, 
the profession of sommelier is really really booming not only in Europe but I but I also think in uh, in Asia for example uh, a lot of sommeliers are coming from 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 those countries as, as well Japan China for example uh, Thailand uh, so these countries also develop really fast so I think that's a really good segue into talking about sustainability because I think you're right about that by the way I mean one of the great <laughs> sort of finishing houses that I see for sommelier seems to be at 67 Palmal in London where they have a huge number of sommeliers, many of whom I know quite well, who seem to sort of do a few years there and often go on to take on you know, bigger jobs elsewhere. And, and they are often talking about sustainable wines. Um, and it seems to me there is this new approach of uh, being more experimental, being more open to ideas. Yeah. But before this interview, you are, you're asking me about the blog and you said to me, you know, what is sustainable wine? So let me, let me throw that back yeah. to you just to start yeah. this bit yeah. off. And for you, what is sustainable wine? First of all, I think it's uh, it's a really sensitive topic. It's a really uh, topic open to still to discussions, and uh, I think there are several kind of styles or approaches to sustainable uh, wine or sustainable, for example, viticulture, and what kind of wines are those. But I think uh, being a sommelier you should stay really open-minded and I think you, you don't have to necessarily uh, scream you know for one kind of style of wine which you think is the only and the right you know and sometimes not always but sometimes I have the feeling you know traveling around visiting several wine bars that there are places where you know sommeliers or the owners of a wine bar they, they say that the only one you can drink is natural. The rest is conventional. It's full of, you know, additives, full of sulfur. That's not good. That's not healthy, and so on. But I think that's not really the the, the, the truth, actually. And for me, working and running a restaurant, uh, I think that the the most important aspect is the customer. And uh, I think I like this kind of sentence, you know. Um, there are as good as bad wines out there uh, and it doesn't matter is it natural or conventional. For me the quality is the, the most important thing and uh, I think you can find a lot of beautiful examples of uh, naturally made wines. Uh, you can find a lot of interesting orange wines, you know. But in the same way, I mean, there are great wines all over the world, like classic regions of Bordeaux, Burgundy, or Tuscany, or Rioja. And, and uh, sometimes, you know, they are not made in the same way, like these kind of natural raw wines. Mm -hmm. But you can't say they're bad wines. And no, I guess people would say they're less sustainable than wines. Yes, uh, well, that's true. But I think in the end of the day, we have to stay really open-minded and respect the customer. And yes, we need to understand, you know, the, uh, the small details behind maybe a natural wine movement and how a wine is grow, how does that influence, you know, if you use uh, artificial uh, fertilizers. And of course, everyone knows that, you know, treating land badly with chemicals is, is bad and most probably it will give bad grapes and, and that will influence the, the wine as well. But uh, I think in the end of the day, really, we have to stay really open-minded and uh, respect the winemaker and, uh, you know, just 
speak with the customer and to understand what's what's he is really about. Do you, so, do you think your customers are ever concerned about the health aspects of conventional wines? I mean, some of the great wines of the 1980s in Bordeaux were made by what some people might call, you know, nuking vineyards with uh, with chemicals. And yeah, there was an awful lot of chemical usage after World War II yeah, up until yeah, quite recently yeah. in these major wine regions. But I don't imagine any of your customers have ever said to you, I'm a bit concerned about the pesticide levels in my yeah, old yeah, yeah. Is that right? No, there are questions like, you know, of course, organic is, is a quite trendy word. Also, if you work with wines, with customers in the restaurant, do you have organic wines? Do you have biodynamic wines? And in, in, in that case, I'm very open-minded and we have those wines listed. Not, not uh, you know, a lot, but we, we have them. And no, people, they, they, sometimes they ask, you know, can I have a wine not more than 13% alcohol? Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, sometimes they ask, can I have an or organic wine? But also the problem is a lot of people and consumers, they don't know what actually an organic wine is. Yeah. For example, you know, a lot of people still don't uh, realize mm -hmm. that that's uh, organic is like from organically grown grapes. Mm -hmm. But then in a winery, actually, <laughs> you can more or less do everything like, you know, the conventional winemakers yeah. are doing. Unless you're in the U.S. And Unless you, and you, where you can't use where you can't certified. Yes, and you can't use any. Which is more complicated. Add, yeah. There are added levels of complication, I think. Ex exactly. So yeah. it's about knowledge. But I think the sommelier should know all these aspects. Organic viticulture, mm -hmm. biodynamic viticulture natural wines which is a very wide you know very wide uh, yes. i think uh, range of wines yeah. but you have to explain in simple words to the customer you know give uh, give chance to taste those wines you mm -hmm. know because i mean you will i think you will agree if you give a hazy uh, skin contact wine without any sulfur mm. with a flavor and aroma which is not which the customer is not used to and just say, you know, this is natural wine, please taste. I mean, mostly the result will be what exactly you gave me. I mean, it's not really a wine, isn't it? Yeah. So you have to, you have to explain what is a natural wine, uh, how a wine tastes and smells if you make a white wine like a red wine with skin contact, mm -hmm. why the winemaker is doing that because he don't want to use any uh, or he wants to use limited sulfur because mm -hmm. skins gives additionally you know yeah. antioxidants and, and 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 protects the wine in, in, in one way so i think you have to explain to the, to the how, consumer. how do you do that because I, I can get that organics is pretty easy to explain right yeah, yeah. you can say the organics organics is more about what you don't do than what you do actually mm -hmm. do right yeah. so you're taking away chemicals we're making wine right? it's yeah. fairly easy to explain yeah. biodynamics a minefield to explain, I must imagine. And then natural wine, as you say, there's such a spectrum of practice. It must be quite difficult for you to talk to customers about about the differences and so on. Mm -hmm. Well, as you said, organic is quite easy. Biodynamic, if you don't go into much detail, you can say it's a kind of philosophy, mm -hmm. which started, we know where it started. You use several composts. You work according to a specific uh, calendar you know, which you do specific actions according to specific days. And uh, I mean, in one way you can compare it with organic, you know, you don't use any kind of uh, uh, 
uh, artificial uh, chemical uh, mm. pesticides, herbicides, and you use you try to use uh, everything from your farm. But it's a quite strong, I think, philosophy, and 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 yeah. uh, there are maybe some some winemakers where I had the feeling that they are doing this because it's you know a kind of global reaction or it's trendy or i don't know but there are again biodynamics which are really strongly into that and you can feel that they are like passionate about yeah. that it's like a does, religion yeah, yeah yeah does does that necessarily make a better wine it depends you know for sure maybe it makes a better uh better uh kind of growing uh, conditions for the grapes more healthier mm. but again is healthier does healthier grapes give necessarily, you know, better wine for a specific customer. Well, see, that's a very good point, because I just interviewed a guy called Dave Powell recently. You might have heard of him. He's a, He was the founder of Torbreck in Australia. Okay. And he's now got a new project, mm-hmm. Powell and Son. And Dave said to me on this podcast a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, that in his, in his view, he loves biodynamics, but he can make the vines too vigorous if he's not careful. Mm-hmm. And that's not exactly what he wants out of his red... Mm. red grapes he wants them to struggle a little bit and he doesn't want the vineyard being too vigorous and so I thought that was and that, that's in a particular area of Australia right that's sort of high up in the Barossa but I thought that was an interesting point of view I like to compare sometimes winemakers with chefs and you know there are a lot of chefs they have several philosophy I once I was in El Bulli do I want to go back probably no one experience was really good. It was a great experience. It's not my cup of tea. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. But it's, I will not go there anymore. Well, it's not existing anymore. Mm. But you got the point. Yes. Can I say it's a bad food? No. It's not bad food. It's high quality food from high quality ingredients. From a chef with a very specific philosophy. You know? And uh, I think, I mean... If chefs will start to do what the customers demand, they will not have their personality anymore. Mm. I mean, you can make Caesar salad, you know, in every restaurant. That would be not interesting. But finding a chef with a specific philosophy makes them, you know, more interesting, not necessarily better. And with winemaking, I think it's the same. I mean, it's a great experience to taste that kind of wine. And I think sometimes natural wines are specifically great with uh, difficult food matching, you know, fermented dishes, umami-rich dishes. I think the natural wines, orange wines, they're sometimes really interesting to give as an experience for a customer with some specific dish. And that's already a really nice experience. Meanwhile, explaining if the customer is open-minded, what it is, what makes the wine different. So uh, I think uh, these are the aspects which I usually try to uh, to work and uh, to explain to the to the customers. So we were talking about how you'd explain natural wine. Yeah, natural that, wines. I yeah, that, I think that's what you've just said. Actually, is quite a good way of talking about yeah. it in terms of how you talk to customers. But most winemakers I talk to really hate the idea of this natural wine movement because they feel like their work is being disrespected, mm-hmm. and they feel like a lot of them will say to me, it's a bit like I'm inviting you around for dinner and then showing you all the ingredients in the kitchen mm-hmm. and saying, right, you know, go cook them. Or let's just throw them all together into a big pot, boil them up and see what happens. You know, they often say it's lazy winemaking. And there does seem to be this really sort of passionate thing with winemakers about 
pushing back against this natural wine movement. I wondered if you'd encountered that and what you thought of it. Sometimes I say, I actually I'm, I'm guiding a tasting, you know, uh, conventional, I say con traditional, conventional, organic, biodynamic and natural wines. And I explain a bit of, in simple words, about each philosophy or each approach, what's behind. And in the end, I'm, I'm doing a blind tasting. And, uh, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, a blind tasting. Mm. Uh, two flights usually, a white wine flight and a red wine flight. And then with, I'm mixing... With a mixture of styles. Different styles. Sometimes I have uh, two red wines from Etna. Mm. One is natural, one is traditional. And my question is, does natural wine or conventional wine speaks for typicity variety? Can you guess the, the, the grape variety behind that, if mm. you have an orange wine? Yeah. Can you crack, you know, uh, the variety or variety? Can you crack the region? Can you mm. crack the terroir? Because sometimes they say if you work naturally, biodynamically, it more expresses the terroir and the place where the wine comes from. Yes, that's and something you hear all the time. Yeah. Sometimes... Uh, Which is what winemakers have always said was their objective anyway, right? And it's them saying that, not we are saying that. Yeah. But uh, what, what, what I wanted to tell, actually, now I forget. Okay. You're blind tasting people on uh, different, different kinds of... Yes, but, but um, so natural wine, I mean, now I remember, sorry. Sometimes I speak to Gerasmus, you know, natural wine, what it is. I mean, if you remember, I don't know, 8,000 years before Christ, you know, when probably someone crushed the grape juice, left there, came back, tasted, hmm, that tastes different. I mean, that was wine. That was fermented grape juice. And sometimes I say, you know, nowadays, uh, since people understood how to grow grapes, how to make wine, during all those centuries, you know, all those evolutions, technical evolutions, barrels, stainless steel, sulfur, uh, different additives, you know, filtration and so on, uh, wine till nowadays has changed a lot from the very beginning. And then I'm trying to say some winemakers, they think that a lot of activities, which nowadays you do uh, because of the chemicals, techniques, you know, a lot of innovations, you try to manipulate, uh, how do you say, manipulate with the, with the raw material. And some winemakers think that it's maybe not the best way how to treat, you know, grapes and grape juice. And then I'm saying, you know, a lot of these natural winemakers, they believe as less as you do, the better. That's their belief. So you grow grapes in the vineyard, you don't use any chemicals. So it's a kind of organic viticulture approach in the vineyard, right? And then as soon as the grapes, they arrive in the winery, again, they try to do less as possible. So they, they crush gently the juice. They try not to add any additives, including sulfur, yeah? So they're trying to use uh, different ways, like the skin contact, which protects maybe the wine, you know. Mm -hmm. So there's, this is an, another kind of approach. And again, is it, uh, is, it, uh, is it a philosophy? Is it something new? Is it a global trend? In some way, yes. And that's a lot of winemakers said, because a lot of traditional winemakers, I will not mention any specific one, they're saying, yes, we didn't used to have five years back uh, a field blend or an orange wine in our portfolio. Now I'm experimenting with that and that's a global reaction. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to explain in this kind of way, but never I'm saying that uh, natural wine or conventional wine or a wine from Bordeaux is better or worse than the other. 
And I think uh, the sommelier should work in this kind of way. If you are a sommelier which has a specific philosophy and you believe that those wines are part of philosophy or your wine bar or restaurant or the chef, then probably it's again another story. But uh, shortly spoken, this is the way how I'm trying to explain what is a natural uh, natural, you know, wine. <laughs> and then, of course, there are several winemakers which are specifically famous for that in specific regions, which are doing that actually for already 30 years. Or yes, well, know? we're seeing now more and more winemakers, what you call mainstream chateaus, domains, doing this. Mm -hmm. I just did this fascinating interview with Thomas DeRue at uh, Palmer, where he talked about the fact, obviously, they've gone fully biodynamic since 2017, I think they're now certified, uh, which is a major operation for a third growth Bordeaux. Um, in Bordeaux. In Bordeaux, exactly, with that weather. And yet he said, and I said, well, you know, what are your chances of getting everybody else to do this? Because obviously you have problems with drift. You, know, you can't just be a sustainable island in a, a sea of normal practice, practice since World War II. And he said, everybody's doing bits of this in Bordeaux. Everybody's got larger and larger parcels, larger and larger plots where they're doing biodynamics in their own way. And that I think his hope is that over time we'll see that spread across the whole of mm -hmm. the left and right bank. Is that, is that your sense of where all this is headed? You know, that, that we'll end up with this kind of more biodynamic approach? Dominating? I think yes. I think yes. Biodynamic or organic uh, or sustainable the most winemakers, I, I think even in the last years, everyone, and doesn't matter, is it, is it Argentina, is it Mexico recently, is it Austria, Spain, southern France, Moldova, winemakers are saying the same, you know, those who are biodynamic saying, yes, that's my philosophy, I think that makes my wines grow better, and in the end, I can see the difference uh, when I was making wine before, I took this philosophy and now. And that's perfect. If winemakers understand that, you know, changing kind of philosophy, they're believing it makes for them a better wine. That's the goal. Yeah. And that's their philosophy. And then what the critics say, okay, maybe someone, if you're doing faulty wine, that's another problem. Then you should listen and take, you know, healthy critics. Yes, you are a natural winemaker, but sorry, uh, you have a huge bottle variation and your wines just became vinegar or they're faulty, you know, and they're just bad wines. And sometimes being natural is an excuse of making faulty wine. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah? I had a glass of, um, of white, white natural wine a couple of weeks ago at a trendy East London wine yeah. bar. And I took one sip of it and probably the worst glass of wine I've ever had in my life. It tasted like liquid fennel. Oh, like it looked like cider that yeah. cost fifty p a pint when I was a teenager, and it smelled of liquid fennel. And I was, I couldn't believe they were trying to sell this to me. So yes, you do get some some challenging wines. And exactly, I'm not a chemist. I'm not a winemaker neither, uh, and I respect the winemakers, the hard work. But uh, sometimes, I mean, if you take a glass of wine, and if you read the label, or maybe not, but if I'm struggling, if I'm struggling, you to find the flavor or, you know, what is the flavor, what is the taste, or it's something not pleasant, you know. Yeah. And my vocabulary is actually quite wide in mm. describing wines. Then I'm thinking, is there something wrong with me? <laughs> or maybe there is something wrong with the wine. Yeah. And uh, that's the problem. And I think 
we should treat each other with respect. The sommeliers, specifically the sommeliers should treat res with respect the, the winemakers because there's a lot of hard work uh, behind, you know, every bottle of wine. And you have to be humble and, and, and friendly and not snobbish. And, and snobbish yeah. actually still is a big problem of the sommelier. Yes. Unfortunately. You've got lots of different kinds of snobbishness that, that sort of collide as well, don't you? You know, you've got the traditional winemakers who are yes. snobby. You've got the new natural winemakers yes. who are snobby. And then you've got the sommelier. And you each have your own point of view. Exactly. You know. But come on, guys. I mean, uh, doesn't matter. Natural, biodynamic. I think the winemaker has to understand and find his philosophy. He's yeah. believing it. Yeah. Everyone understands, be it a huge producer of million bottles per year that using chemicals is bad and of course we have to create uh, a healthy uh, a healthy um, environment for the grapes and probably yes better healthier soil will make uh, better wines and better uh, grapes will make better uh, wine in the end of course but for some winemakers it will need longer time you know mm -hmm. just to convert everything yeah. but i think in generally globally everyone is moving more green less chemicals less herbicides less pesticides less sulfur yeah you know uh making more pure wines do you think that will affect the aging ability then particularly on the sulfur side who right? knows that no um, one knows right? not yet mm. not yet but uh, uh i think also it depends and i have the feeling less and less people are uh, you know, buying in wine and, 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 and keeping for decades. Yeah. And I think that's a global uh, global situation, what happens actually in the world. You yeah. know, a lot of wars, a lot of, you know, uh, fears and, and people are trying to enjoy every moment of the life. Mm -hmm. And also you mentioned global warming, all these aspects of problems. And that will influence, I think, also hugely in the next 50, 70 years, the viticulture as well. Yes. I think so. Huh? Yeah. And uh, so all these kind of aspects changes the, the way of thinking, you know. Uh, winemakers start to make wines with, uh, which are approachable more sooner. Mm -hmm. You don't need to keep them necessarily for 10, 15 years. Who has yeah. time for that now, you know? Yeah, I mean, there is a, from a purist point of view that, I mean, I mean, you know wine better than I do. I mean, a great Barolo needs 15, 20 years, you know. Burgundy goes through these weird, weird times, doesn't it, where it's open and closed and open and closed and you drink it 15, yes. 20 years in. Great Bordeaux and you need to see it develop. Unless, I think a lot of people would say we don't want to lose that. Yeah, unless, I mean, if you... I'm a person actually who likes the youth of the wine. And some say, yeah, the wine is less complex when it's youth. Yes, but I like the, the, the purity, the vibrancy of the fruit, the tannins. I like that. And I like that sometimes in a new Barolo. And maybe maybe I or maybe another person or a customer, when you give him uh, an aged Rioja or Barolo, he say, okay, if I want to smell uh, leather or tobacco, I will have a cigar or I will <laughs> ride a horse. But if I want to drink wine, I want to drink something pleasant, fruity, expressive, concentrated. Yeah. Well, so it really depends. Changing. And yeah. I guess there'll always be a market for that other. Exactly. Market. Yes. You know, absolutely. Producers will always. There are many producers who are never going to change. Yes. You know, because they've made good living doing what they do. Um, a final question, because I know you you've got a restaurant to run a bit later <laughs> today, friends. Um, let me ask you about wine in Latvia, because um, three years ago I met Martin Sparkans, who we yeah. mentioned earlier, who who runs above us, and I just went back to see him, and I went into his little wine laboratory yeah. in his new kind of converted pickle factory he's got. 
near Tukums. Yeah. And we had this fascinating two-hour tour of his demijohns and his barrels yeah. and yeah, his yeah, you know, yeah. plastic containers where he's yeah. trying to make a drinkable wine. And I know that you know, Martins, um, so I'm writing a piece about it. So I wondered what you thought about the potential of, of winemaking in Latvia and what do you think it's going to take for someone like Martins who has this incredible commitment to doing mm. this? What's it going to take for him to make a, a drinkable wine from Latvia that isn't made out of rhubarb or apple? <laughs> Well, honestly spoken, I know Martins. Yeah, I know him very well, and I know that I know his ambitions. I know that you know he's willing, uh, having the the, the 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 target, and he will go to that. Uh, he's also a quite talented uh, winemaker in in Latvia, and he knows, and and he has a huge experience. He has traveled a lot. He has spoke to many winemakers. And uh, of course, we know that in Latvia we have a miserable climate, and uh, probably with the global warming, who knows? Maybe, yeah. And maybe, maybe it'll just get wetter though. Right? Exactly. So who knows? But uh, I think Abavas is doing uh, a really great job. As I mentioned to you before, you have to, and I always do. You have to look in realistic where the grapes are grown, what are the conditions, what what is the history, and Latvia has a really relatively short history. We have still very uh, bad weather conditions for wine. You know, we have not too much sunny days. We have uh, quite cool springs. We have, you know, very damp autumns mostly. So that makes the growing season very short. So if you want to grow grapes, you have to pay attention what kind of grapes, you know. And sometimes, you know, he has uh, Sable Blanc, for example, he has some few Chardonnays, but Solaris, you know, there are... Solaris used to be the one yeah, that's Yeah, yeah, and, 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 and actually I gave in a blind Solaris to my, my, my team and some said, well, it's a kind of cool climate, Grüner, kind of Sauvignon, Riesling well, well, type of... gave his wine. Yes. Because okay. he made 400 bottles in 2015. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to have some, but it's all gone. Apparently. No, no, it's kind of cool climate, very fresh. Yeah, okay. You have any here still? No, no. unfortunately not. So grapes are tough and maybe, you know, maybe, and Martin said me already there, he will try to do something sparkling. I mean, the climate is cool. Yeah. You know, there are some grapes which uh, uh, Britain is growing as well. Yes, so he, he mentioned that to me. That yeah. might be maybe a direction. Mm -hmm. And then we have wonderful fruits, you know, growing here, uh, which are an experience. Yeah. <laughs> like rhubarb, like apples are great. Mm -hmm. The cider, you know. Uh, I think you, you can make uh, some good quality cider here, mm -hmm. interesting in a positive way, rhubarb sparkling wines. Then, as you know, he is doing some, uh, some uh, kind of fortified wines, some, some spirits as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, from commercial uh, side, he's doing, uh, he's quite skilled in that. So he's doing a good job as well. So he brings the name of Latvia also in that uh, perspective a bit outside so and there are only positive things to mention about Martinsch and about Abavas and about other uh, you know passionate winemakers from Latvia yeah how many others are there apart from well I think there are a lot but uh, to name maybe winemakers which I think you know are uh, of good quality uh, for me personally from grapes you mean from grapes, from grapes, probably I can not name any other. Okay, yeah, I think that's the impression I got. Is it, it's, it's so difficult, yeah. even with the longer, longer sunshine, sunlight hours in summer. It's 
Exactly. But so the other makers you're talking about are all making fruit wines and... They're making fruit not, wines. Not they're right. making fruit wines. And uh, for me, a fruit wine, when you take a glass, when you read the label, it says, you know, blackcurrant fruit wine. I want yeah. to taste, smell mm. blackcurrants. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, or strawberry, raspberry. We have some uh, rowan tree berries, chalk berries. So yeah. quite interesting, uh, you know. Lots of potential. I think so, yeah. Great. Well, Ramis, um, thank you so much for your time. We could talk all day, but you've got a we restaurant could. to run. We and could. Thank you very much. My listeners don't have endless patience, but thank you so much for your time today. And uh, listeners, if you'd like to know more about Latvian wine, you can listen to the interview I'm about to publish with uh, Martin Sparkhams and uh, sustainable wine in general. If you're listening to this uh, this podcast on your podcast app, you can have a look uh, for photos, videos, and other things on sustainablewineblog.com. Thanks very much, Ramis. Thank you very much. Thank you.